Have you ever been handpicked to do something? It is that opportunity when people think you can do something wonderful. Most likely, you're honored and scared at the same time. You might think, I'm not ready. But the reality is, other people see your potential and believe you can reach it. Now, Saul has already been given his initial opportunity on the road to Damascus, as you recall in Acts chapter 9, and he humbly took it. Now, was it because he was such a great guy that he had this opportunity? Was it because he was a Pharisee? No, it was because he was forgiven, immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and given a task to reach the lost, both Jew and Gentile. Yet, later, we see he was handpicked again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. The lesson is Paul or Saul in Cyprus. Mission, opposition, dedication. The mission. First, it is believed that Saul sailed to Cyprus around 47 AD. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of history and for those history buffs who like history and maybe figuring out some numbers and dates and all that, you're going to enjoy this part. For those who aren't big into that, give me a little bit. The whole lesson won't be of that. So be encouraged because we'll move on from that. But there is a point, so bear with me. First, it is believed that Saul sailed to Cyprus around 47 AD. Perhaps for two years, he was persecuting the church after Jesus' death. So let's call that 35 AD, depending on your understanding of the dates. After conversion, he stayed in Damascus in the Arabia region for three years. We know that for sure. So let's say that's 38 AD. But how long was he in Jerusalem before he was set sail to Tarshish. Maybe two years, maybe, I don't know. So let's say it's 40 AD. So the time in Tarshish and before the Holy Spirit sent him on his first missionary journey starting in Cyprus was approximately seven years before 47 AD. So he had his seven year gap that we're not exactly sure what Paul was, Saul was doing. So what was he doing this whole time? Well, the question might be best answered with what he was doing years later. We find Saul in Antioch. What is he doing? He's worshiping with like-minded people. Right before the Holy Spirit called him and Barnabas to go to Cyprus, he wasn't waiting on being handpicked to be involved. But the handpicking by the Holy Spirit came because he was involved. You see the thing there? When I think of the phrase on point, the first thing that comes to my mind is usually dealing with war. 
So when a squad goes out and the sergeant or the lieutenant or whoever's in charge of the squad says, John, take point. What is he telling me to do? Get in front of everybody and mark the way. Check for danger. See what's going on. You see, with Jesus as our leader, he may assign you, any of you, to get on point. Now, because he's already demonstrated his leadership, it should be easier for us to accept that direction, should it not? That command, that, that authority of Jesus Christ. So now it is your turn to take the lead. It is your turn to get on point. But were Paul and Barnabas alone when, the, when they were given this mission? Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were this church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What were they all doing? They were already, all of them, the church, the prophets and teachers, and those people specifically mentioned, already on point. They were already taking the lead. They were already involved in the work of God with the mission as the body of Christ. So Saul and Barnabas were told to preach the word. That is the mission they were given. It was to proclaim the word of God. Go to the synagogues and establish congregations of the Lord's people in the various communities and homes. Did Saul do this alone? Many times I believe people think he was alone and didn't utilize a support group. Kind of like maybe modern day churches who expect somebody to do it alone. But I believe this is far from the truth. Far from the truth. Preaching the word is difficult for multiple people to stand up and preach at once. That's a fact. But the working of proclaiming the truth is a group effort. It's a group effort. Funds are needed, food prepared, other speakers and teachers are needed. The hands and feet and the bodies to work are needed. Even Saul was known to have a doctor with him. His name was Luke. And Luke authored by inspiration the Gospel of Acts the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Now, Barnabas and Saul were set aside, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. But within the context, we see in verse 5 that John Mark was with them. Are they disobeying the Holy Spirit by bringing somebody else? I thought it was just Barnabas and Saul set aside. No, that's not the case. Yeah, we want, I want you two to do it, but... 
add some people. And they did. And they brought John Mark. But John left after his time in Cyprus, going back to Jerusalem. So if I were to just read that, that only leaves Barnabas and Saul, doesn't it? But if you go to chapter 13, verse 3, that may be 14, verse 3, excuse me. They left Cyprus. It says, Paul and his companions, plural, set sail for Paphos. John Mark is the only companion that we're told about, and he left for Jerusalem. Where did they get all these other peoples that made those companions, plural? It looks like they brought a group. Or made a group. The church. The body of Christ. What's my point? And I think this is where we're going here. The only individual doing his job alone was the only one who could do it. And that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could do his job and he could only do it. The only one. But Paul and all the people on point and on mission needed the group. Needed the group. Together, the people proclaimed the word of God as the body of Christ. All of you here are supposed to be on point and on mission. What is your, though, what is your mission within the mission? See, we all have different parts that go along with the whole mission, don't we? Where can we spread the gospel? Family, friends, neighbors, work. Where should we go when things go wrong? The body of Christ who cares for you and will pray with you. What should the Christian household look like? Are we dedicated to supporting God's mission as people on point? Paul said this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Share in suffering. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And if you are in Christ, guess what? You are a soldier of Christ. Stay on point with the mission of Christ. But our mission must never ever be anything other than God's mission, which leads us to the second point in this lesson, opposition. Opposition comes from the good news preached. Now we see that Saul and his team had gone throughout all of Cyprus. From the east to the west of the large island, they were going each week to various synagogues and anyone who would listen to them. Now, the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus, summoned Barnabas and Saul. That's kind of neat. 
This guy was no small character in the Roman government. There's actually inscriptions about him that they found on carved on stone. He wasn't somebody of a small character, but somebody pretty prominent. And he wanted to hear the word of God from them. So word is spreading, isn't it? There are two characters in their group, or whoever they are, we don't know. And they've been preaching and preaching the word. I don't know exactly know how long they were there. And this guy hears what's going on. Of course he does. He's in charge of the whole place. He's going to have his ear to the ground, right? What's going on in my area? What an opportunity. And an official invite as well. Scripture says that he was a very intelligent man. You know, when Scripture talks like that, you recognize the guy was probably very intelligent. Acts chapter 13, verse 7. The thing I like about him, though, comes in chapter 13, verse 12. He believed. He believed. But during this situation, getting to our point of opposition, Saul refers to a particular gentleman as the son of the devil. The son of the devil. Not usually your best approach when trying to uh, convert somebody. You are the son of the devil. His name was Bar-Jesus, also known as Elamus, the magician. First, he was someone who got in the way. Have you ever met someone who got in the way, who was like there and didn't want you to think for yourself, but stopped you from thinking and told you, hey, don't listen to that, don't listen to them. He got in the way. This is a guy who got in the way. Chapter 13, verse 6 says this. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a false Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. I wonder if he didn't try to meet this group of believers to head them off. Now, you don't want to go to Sergius Paulus. Let me tell you where you need to go. And it's not here. He was kind of one of those people. To dissuade them against their teaching, but it didn't work. Luke, wonderful aspect of his writing here in the Greek, marvelous, describes a lot about this guy named Bar Jesus. But Elamus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Chapter 13, verse 8. You see, the name Elamus itself carries the idea of being wise. If you think of a magician at this time and prior, they were generally wise men. Not necessarily sorcerers, as we might think of it, but wise men. Somebody you leaned on for counsel. Someone who had knowledge. 
a person of science, you might say, who can do things maybe with chemicals that look magical. And if he uses certain science skills that way, maybe that's another reason to call him a magician. Here's the point. He was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That, in chapter 13, verse 8, means something. He was smart enough to understand the truth, but he didn't care. He didn't care. His goal was to persuade the proconsul away from the truth. So false prophet is not a bad description of his agenda. He knew the truth, but he was seeking to persuade the proconsul away from the truth. That's the guy that Saul said was the son of the devil. Listen to what's Saul said to this wise man, chapter 13, verses 9 and following. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see his sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what he had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You're making crooked the straight paths that are already laid aside. What does that mean? He was purposefully trying to deceive. That's who this guy is. That is a definition, strong definition, of a false prophet. So let's move away from him. And go more to what matters, dedication. And those with him were dedicated to Christ's mission. Were they all always with Saul on his missionary journeys? Everybody that was with him? No. Their mission might be building the body of Christ where they lived. Maybe some stayed behind in Cyprus and in other places to build the body of Christ there in all the various points and all the islands. Others did missions to reach other places. When Paul wrote Romans, the Lord's church already existed there. Paul said many words that would help us be encouraged in our dedication to Christ. Listen to Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as though those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
Are you an instrument for God's righteousness? Chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you know what God considers good, acceptable, and perfect. After a great section in Romans 12, verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. His church, whose church? Christ's church. His death and resurrection made it possible. But his church is not a building, is it? He didn't call us to go out and build grand buildings. It is the people who have turned to him. As Romans 1.5 and 16.26 say, those who have obedience of faith. We are a people who received his grace. And now he sends us out in his mission to preach the word and preach Christ as the body of Christ. Are we a people on mission? Are we a people on point? Or are are we too busy with civilian matters outside of the realm of our mission? A civilian is not involved in the efforts of the mission. But those who choose Christ are no longer civilians. You're people who are now on mission. The church, the body of Christ, is a group effort in mission. And every one of us is needed in that effort. As Connor was taught in the Air Force, every job is essential to the overall mission. There is no job that is frivolous. They wouldn't have it. So ask yourself, Are we following the example of Paul and others as they followed Christ? Are we following the teachings that come from Christ? Are we dedicated to the cause of Christ? The lesson is Saul in Cyprus. The mission is to proclaim the word of God so people can be eternally saved. The opposition comes by those who don't want to hear the good news preached and the dedication. I know God sees potential in everyone here. Potential towards the working of his mission. You see, each and every one of you were handpicked. Each and every one of you are handpicked. 
If there's the lesson here is yours. If there's anybody here today who has any concerns, any prayer requests or otherwise,